morning, everybody. Okay, most of you know me. I'm Pastor Chuck. You know probably that I'm the youth pastor here. And I'm going to go all crazy youth pastor on you right now because, because we're going to play a game. I brought up three guinea pigs to demonstrate a little bit. This game is called Look Down, Look Up, and it actually has something to do with the sermon. If you can figure that out, it loosely has something to do with the sermon. But all you have to do, we're going to ask, well, let me, let me first of all make you a couple promises as we play this game. First of all, you don't have to say anything. You don't have to touch anybody. And it'll be over in just a minute or two. I promise. All those, all those promises, okay? We're going to demonstrate how it goes. You get in a circle with like four minimum, but better like five or six people. You stand in a circle. I'll give the directions. I'll say, look down. Everybody looks down. Then I say, look up. And when I say, look up, everybody looks at one person. And if you are making eye contact with that person, if, in other words, if you both look at the same, you look at each other, you're out of the game. So the way you stay in is by looking at somebody who's not looking at you. Does that make sense? Okay, so we'll demonstrate real quick. Look down, look up. Ah, Gracie and I are out. We were looking at each other. Okay, you guys can go sit down. So one more thing. One more thing, if you really just don't want to play, you don't have to. But if you want to play, stand up, find a group of five or six, and I will give the directions here in just a second, as soon as I see most of the groups formed. Form your group. Are you ready? Okay, everybody look down. Look up. If you're out, sit down. If you're out, sit down. Oh, yeah. You look at a person. You don't look way up. All right, here we go. Let's do it again. Look down. Look up. By the way, in this game... You can either have one or two winners, depending on how it comes out. Once you're down to two people, you cannot go any farther than that. So look down. Look up. Let's keep it moving. Look down. Look up. Look down. Look up. I was going to say, that group over there had like every member still left until that one. Okay, we'll give you just a couple more. A couple more. Look down. Look up. Anybody still playing? Is that everybody now? What, what, no prizes, sorry. No prizes. Don't have that for you. All right. Thank you. And see if you can figure out what, if anything, that had to do with the sermon. Like I said, loosely had to do with the sermon. You know, it, it was inevitable, I think. Um, 
After living in Michigan for almost 20 years, it finally happened. It's just a few weeks ago, I was driving Nicole home, or driving home from taking Nicole to Bishop Airport in Flint. It was the middle of the day, just north of Flint, traveling at, well, maybe just a little bit over 70 miles per hour on Highway 75. When I saw her, a hundred yards or so ahead on the right side of the road, a deer looking out towards six lanes of speeding traffic and thinking somehow that she could make it across. I quickly analyzed my situation, car on my left, car on my right, and yes, another car ominously close at my rear. As time moved in slow motion for the next few seconds, the deer started out across the lane, across lane one, into lane two, where I was, and there she stopped. She stared me down, eventually making a move back towards lane one as I slowed down as much as I could without getting rear-ended by the car behind me, but the inevitable happened. As I clipped her with my front bumper, leaving me a significant dent and her a trip to where all good deer go when they die. I was sad for what had happened to that little deer, but I was also mad. I mean, what was that deer thinking trying to cross six lanes of traffic? To get to what? Was there an important petition on gun control that she wanted to sign on the other side of the road? (laughs) Or maybe she just needed water really badly. Let's look at Psalm 42. Turn with me in the Blue Bibles or check it out on the screen. We're going to read it. I'm reading from the ESV, Psalm 42. Why don't we stand as I read this? As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God. For the living God, when shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God, with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, 
a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where's your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Praise God for His Word. You may be seated. Today as we look at Psalm 42... We're going to see how, like the psalmist, my soul should long for God. Then we'll see, like the psalmist, I am disturbed by scoffers and troubled by afflictions. And then finally, like the psalmist, I remember not to forget Have you ever been really hungry or thirsty? I mean really hungry or thirsty. I don't mean just missing a meal or having a dry mouth, but more like so hungry or thirsty that it's all you can think about. I remember on a mission trip many years ago to Haiti, asking our interpreter a question about the people who don't have jobs of which there are many in Haiti, I asked him, what do they spend their time doing all day? His answer was that most of them spend their day trying to figure out where or how they'll get their next meal. I don't know about you, but I've never been in a situation even close to that. The closest I can relate is playing a softball game on a hot July night And forgetting to bring a water bottle. By the end of the game, I can't wait to get home and get a drink of water. Psalm 42 opens with the psalmist comparing his thirst for God to how a deer pants for water on a hot day. He declares, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Over in Psalm 63, David makes a similar declaration. Verse 1, he says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I was trying to think of a New Testament verse that captured this same thirst for God. I thought about Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. But don't miss a key difference in that verse. You know, if I came home from my ball game parched and my wife offered me milk to drink, I'd say, no thanks. If she offered me a cold pop, no thanks. 
Now, nothing satisfies like a cold glass of water when you're really thirsty. And in Matthew 5, 6, Jesus is encouraging those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. But I don't think that would have satisfied the longing I hear from the psalmist. No, his thirst is one that can only be filled by God himself. By being in God's presence. He longs not just for righteousness, but for the living God, he says. Augustine said, our souls are restless until they find rest in God. Notice the question in verse 2 that's been referred to earlier in the service. When shall I come and appear before God? I like the way the NIV says it. Where can I go and meet with God? Why is it we think we have to go somewhere to meet with God? I know if you ask any of our jam middle school students who've been on our Butler mission trip about the highlights of our trip, many of them would point to the worship times as being incredible times in which they interacted with the living God. Many would probably go on to say that they, they can't wait till next year so that they can do it again. Do you see where I'm going with this? If you're thirsty for God, what are you waiting for? In fact, I would ask each of us to consider this question. Think about this one. What is the environment or circumstances that you find personally best for ushering you into the presence of God? I'm asking each person to think about that. What are the circumstances, what's the environment that you personally find best for ushering you into the presence of God? For some, it's in intimate times of prayer, while for others, it's as you interact with God's beautiful creation and nature. Still others may be ushered into God's presence best through interacting with His Word. For me, well, I'm like the psalmist. In verse 4, he remembers longingly how I would go with the throng and lead them in the procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. I personally place very high value on our times of corporate worship because for me, they are the way I most effectively am ushered into the presence of God. Okay, I hope... This doesn't freak anyone out, but listen to the words of this ancient Muslim prayer. I think it's going to be up on the screen. And see if you don't agree with me that these words should be prayed to the one true God. It says, Oh my Lord, if I worship you from fear of hell, burn me in hell. And if I worship you from hope of paradise, Exclude me from it. But if I worship you for your own sake, then withhold not from me your eternal beauty. One more thing before we move on to point number two. Have you ever noticed this 
other significant difference between hunger and thirst after food and hunger and thirst after God? It's this. When you hunger and thirst for food and then partake of it, what's the result? You're satisfied. But when you hunger and thirst for God and then partake of Him by entering into His presence, the result is, I want more. It increases your appetite for more of Him. Amen? It reminds me of the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 11. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. Entering into His presence, meeting Him, makes us want more and more. The next point I want us to notice today is that, like the psalmist, I'm disturbed by scoffers and troubled by afflictions. I remember the day not too long ago when calling America a Christian nation actually had some element of truth in it. That day's gone. The only thing Christian about our nation is the fact that a lot of Christians live here. We're increasingly coming under scrutiny from both those outside and those within, denying the presence and power of God. They call us haters for standing up for the truth of the Word of God. They ask critically, just as the psalmist was asked, where is your God? Where's your God when science has proven that the world was created by a big bang? Where's your God when our courts have overruled his teaching on when life begins and who has a right to end it? Where's your God when our courts have thrown out his definition of marriage? Surely you don't believe the words of an ancient book still apply today, do you? They scoff. Where is your God? Where is your God when deep calls to deep, as in verse 7? Deep calls to deep is a difficult phrase to interpret, and it seems that many have misinterpreted it. According to John MacArthur, the best interpretation is simply to understand it as reflective of the fact that trouble keeps coming. Deep calls to deep means blow follows blow. Like a cascading waterfall, troubles come upon us one after another like the waves of the deep keep coming until we feel like we've been swept over. Who hasn't felt this way? Just this past couple of weeks, it seemed like deep calls to deep as blow follows blow in our church family. We've heard of death after death as seven or eight different folks associated with our church family have passed from this life to the next. And just as an aside, let me 
tell you what a wonderful celebration and proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ was made to probably a couple of thousand people on the football field at Northwood at the funeral of Coach Pat Reitma. The Reitmas, as well as these other families that have experienced this loss, are going through a tough time right now. And I read something in a commentary this week as I studied that that addressed situations like these. It said, one of the roles of the worshiping congregation is to worship when I cannot. To celebrate the resurrection of Christ when I am mourning the death of a loved one or struggling with my own sin. The congregation is to declare the wonderful works of God even when I can no longer see Him or sense Him or sense His presence. When blow after blow comes upon us personally, it's not hard to find yourself in the place of the psalmist when he says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? We can find ourselves downcast in what some people refer to as the dark night of the soul. It's in these times when we need to stop looking down in our lament and start looking up in praise and affirmation. There's a highly popular song out right now that's been out for a while. You've probably heard it. It's called Oceans by Hillsong United. Part of that song says, So I will call upon your name and keep my eyes above the waves. When oceans rise, my soul will rest in your embrace. For I am yours, and you are mine. You know, one of the most memorable and helpful, although non-biblical, quotes I've ever heard says this. Never doubt in the darkness what God shows you in the light. Too often we're guilty of drawing hasty conclusions in times of darkness and despair. Our regular speaker for our Butler mission trips for many years has been a man named Adrian McKinney. Adrian regularly says to our students, You will never think more clearly than you are thinking right now. What he's saying to them is that after a week of removing themselves from the distractions and busyness of our lives, after a week of pursuing God through worship and devotional time, you will never think more clearly than you're thinking right now. He's really saying the same thing as that quote, isn't he? Never doubt in the darkness, what God shows you in the light. I had a period of about two years 
where I had some significant waves of deep calling to deep in my life. My father was the first member of my immediate family to die. And his death caused me to be very introspective as I considered the ramifications of his profession to being an atheist. A year and a half later, my sister died after a long battle with cancer. In between the two was a family situation which I'm not able to share, but which for Nicole and I both was heartbreaking. When we go through times like these, we generally take one of two positions. Either we shake our fist at God, angrily asking why, or we can say as Job did, though he slay me, I will hope in him. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. So the psalmist is downcast, but adverse conditions such as the ones he finds himself in, such as the ones you might find yourself in, create an ideal context for reflection and remembering. The last point I'd like to make today is this. Like the psalmist, we need to remember not to forget. Well, that's a strange way of saying that, isn't it? What do you mean by that, you might ask? The psalmist says in verse 4, These things I remember. And then in verse 5, therefore, I remember you. Many of you will remember an idea that Pastor Jay shared a number of times, which I believe originated with John Piper. Actually, Monica referred to it earlier in the service. The idea of preaching to yourself. Isn't that what the psalmist is doing here? Listen to him as he answers his own doubts. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. And then later in the chapter, By day the Lord commands His steadfast love, and at night His song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. Do you ever preach to yourself? I think we all do at times. When I'm riding in the car with my teenage daughter driving, I'm preaching at myself, reminding myself not to preach at her. Be patient, Chuck. Sure, there's a little, she's a little too far over to the right, but she's still in the lane, barely. Be patient. I know she's going to start breaking soon. I know she is. Isn't she? I preach to myself on the softball field. Trying to remind myself 
and as the other players know, often failing, that it's just a game. It's not about winning. It's about having fun, fellowship with the other guys. I preach to myself. But more significantly, we should all preach to ourselves when we're experiencing doubts or feeling down. And what we preach isn't just a pep talk, but rather it should be God's Word. We need to remind ourselves of the truths of the Gospel. Here's how you might preach to yourself the great truths found in Romans 8. Listen, self, if God is for you, who can be against you? He didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for you. Won't he also with him graciously give you all things? Who can bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who can condemn you? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for you. Who shall separate you from the love of Christ? Now that's some good preaching. And you don't even have to go on the internet to get it. You can do it to yourself. So we preach to ourselves, and we do it to remember. I think this was the coolest thing I learned this week as I studied for this sermon. Did you know that for the Jews, a call to remember is at the same time a call to action? We're all familiar with the classic song, Old Lang Syne. That song calls us to remember for old times' sake. Let's remember for old times' sake. But God calls us to remember and to act. It's going to be a quote on the screen from the NIV application commentary. It says, Israel is called to remember Yahweh in order to remain faithful to Him. She's to remember the commandments and keep them. She must remember Yahweh's wonderful acts and give praise for them. She should remember how Yahweh delivered her in spite of her lack of righteousness and be humbly dependent on Him. Yes, for the Jews, memory is never passive, but requires an active response to what is remembered. Taking that a step further... The antithesis is also true. If remembering requires an active response, then forgetting requires a conscious decision not to act on the things that we remember about God. If you have children, you know that children love to use the excuse... I forgot after some act of disobedience. Kids, you don't use that, do you? But like you, God knows that there's more behind that disobedience than simple memory loss. Quoting again 
from the NIV application commentary. Forgetting, forgetting God is a willful act of unlearning, whereby rebellious humans reject what they have known and through lack of commitment, disobedience, and refusal to transmit the truth, seek to create a world in which God does not act or even exist. Many of us are familiar with the statistics concerning young people leaving the church as they enter into their young adult lives. Have they just forgotten what they've learned? Or are they making a willful decision? We must remember not to forget. So what do you think? Was that deer I hit just that dumb? Or was he really that thirsty? How about you? Are you thirsty for God? Do you long to be in the presence of God? To allow His presence to have its effect on you? A truth I've discovered by experience is that it's in the presence of God that we are changed. Let's go back to that song I referred to earlier, Oceans. Listen to some more words from that. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander. And my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. Moses and the Israelites experienced the presence of God in a very tangible way. In the pillar of cloud. In Exodus 33:15, Moses says to God, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. But Moses was thirsty for even more. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And God did show him in a way that physically changed him. Exodus 34:29 says that when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, he didn't know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. He was changed physically and probably in other ways too. So I ask you, do you want to be changed? Enter God's presence and remember His strength. Are you downcast like the psalmist? Enter God's presence and remember His love for you. We need to remember not to forget. Join me in prayer. Our Father and our God, our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray for each one of us here today.
whether we're in a time right now where we feel things are going well, or whether we're in a time when we feel downcast. Lord, I pray that we would be very intentional about doing the things that we know help us enter into your presence. Lord, I realize that could be different for different people. But just help us each to discern what are the ways that we can effectively come into your presence. And Lord, when we enter your presence, we trust you to do your work through your Holy Spirit in our lives, changing us, encouraging us, motivating us, having your way in our lives, God. Thank you for this day. I pray that you would bless each one of us throughout this week and help us to keep our eyes on you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.